Hi. I bet you're wondering how we ended up here. Two gays podcasting on the internet together, but not together together. You know, we're, we're, we're gay adjacent, you know, adjacent, if you will. But, you know, that's me. People call me Kay. I like long walks on the beach, the occasional rom-com, and dominoes. What? Sue me. And that's Naf. He's my best friend. We're basically sexy brothers. Naf likes to think he's a big man, but really, he just likes to be cuddled and watch movies. He likes to be the little spoon. And that's Elizabeth. We met last year, but have actually become pretty great friends. You know, their incredible cosplay work is just something to behold. And their smile lights up the fucking room. You know, I can't believe it's finally here, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. It's time to cast. Podcast, that is. All right, guys, welcome in to One with the Films. We are here and we are queer. So we're here to give you guys a big, big kind. Thank you guys so much for joining us, whether you're joining us live or after the fact. We're here to discuss a wonderful film. Naf, do you want to say hi to the people? Hi, people. How we doing? Mm. Well, you know, I think that we're doing pretty well so far. We got Marley and Chad and a couple of others. So it's seeming like we're going off to a rousing good start. Beautiful. I'm so glad that we're getting a chance to, you know, get everything going there. But we are joined, right, by a phenomenal person. Like an uh, incredible person near and dear to our hearts, somebody that's been a big part of this podcast in little ways and small ways and things there, but someone who's always been very supportive of us and really been able to have this and finally getting a chance to have you on the podcast. It's so nice to have you, Elizabeth. Yeah. Thank you for having me, friends. I'm so happy to be here and be queer. It, yeah. it, it's an honor. It's an honor to be gay with you. Listen. Thank you that that's honestly what i say to naf like pretty much every week is just it's an honor to be gay with you and i feel so, like there's like a particular phrase from pop culture and i'm forgetting what it is um but you get the idea yeah absolutely. oh honestly i think i i think that it's proper but uh naf how's your week so far bud how are you doing um, I'm doing good yeah it was a good week i got to watch a great film so that got me excited mm -hmm. um yeah <laughs> um not too much happening at all um and yeah for listeners uh as well just with these obviously this is a live taping of the episode too but you obviously can check the episodes out on demand anywhere you get your podcasts too uh, so you can find one with the film uh, on one with the films on apple spotify uh, and live and on demand on youtube as well uh, and if you do stick around to the end of this episode uh then we'll announce what our next film is and our next guest so you know what you have to watch this week and you can also follow those um, reveals on our Instagram page too. And honestly, cook in all those places. places. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We love to play a little bit of a game. We always do a little bit of hints to see what's coming forward. And feel free to comment and have anything there. And obviously, also, we do suppose some funny, uh, you know, photoshops and things there. If you do, uh, you know, leave a comment, leave a caption. We will read those live on air. No mm. one has dared to do it yet. So maybe you'll be the first. But nonetheless, uh, we'll see what goes down. But uh, Naf, that brings us obviously to our next point. You know, Naf, what the hell are we doing? What are we doing here for? Like, why, why are we even here to begin? Why are we bothering these nice people on a fine Saturday slash Sunday night? Yeah, well, if you've either intentionally or accidentally selected an episode of our podcast to listen to, um, welcome. We're doing an episode of the Weekly Watchlist, which is a segment that we do on the One With The Films podcast. 
And if you're a long-time listener, you'll know exactly what you're in for. Uh, if you are new, um, yeah, welcome, as we said. Um, on the weekly watch list, we pick a film that essentially uh, neither one of us may have seen before. So generally what it looks like is myself recommending a film to Kay and vice versa, getting each other to watch some of our favorite films and sharing a bit of that mm. love. And then occasionally we'll bring on a guest as well, which is essentially what we've done today. So this is a really great place to be if you are trying to work through your watch list um, or if there are new things that you're trying to find. Because One of the best things about this space is rather than looking at a, you know, like a top 10 of all time list and, you know, talking about the same movies over and over again, this is all about sharing something that's personal to each other and to our guests. Um, and we have a guest today, as Kay was saying, we've got Elizabeth here. And um, Elizabeth has brought a film for us to watch. So, um, Elizabeth, what is the film that we watched for today's podcast? So the film that I recommended for you, my lovely friends, is called Fire Island. Beautiful. It is mm -hmm. phenomenal. I, when I was asked to come on the show, okay, what are your favorite movies that other people haven't seen? Which was hard for me because my like favorite movie that I've seen a million times is The Princess Bride. I've watched it an unknown number mm -hmm. of times since mm -hmm. I was a child, but everybody's seen that movie. So I had to think outside the box and I thought, uh, well, actually, I love Pride and Prejudice. Um, on, on that. Ugh. No, actually, I only saw uh, Pride and Prejudice. Princess... I saw it for the first time at the end of last year. You mean Princess Bride? Uh, sorry, or... yeah, that's what Princess I meant. Sorry, Pride Princess, Pride Pride. Princess Bride. Uh, well, I mean, Princess I saw Pride and Prejudice for the first time last year as well, but Princess Bride I hadn't right. seen until late last year, and I got to watch it for the first time in concert with a, with a live band. You level. son of a oh, bitch! That's really, Not again! That's and, so cool. And, I I love those. I need uh, to go to one. No, yes. shame him. He always has the cool opportunities to see these classic films, and yeah. I just have to yeah. suck it up and watch it on a TV. Uh, there was also a Q and A for about I think it was fifteen twenty minutes with a uh, Carrie Elwes as well. He was there, training. A bunch of the cast are going to MegaCon Orlando, and I'm losing my mind over it. Mandy Patinkin oh. is not going, which is a little bit disappointing because I was always an Inigo Montoya person as a kid. Um, How can you he's not one of the be? only non-Star Wars Funko Pops that I own. Well, um, understandably, but anyway, he's so amazing and also has a beautiful voice. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Um, but anyway, but as, as I so rudely interrupted, you were telling us about um, how The Princess Bride was one of your uh, favorite films, but you couldn't pick it because everyone had seen it. Yep. A lot of people have seen it. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, okay, well, I love Pride and Prejudice, but you, you've done an episode on the 2005, and I wasn't going to make you sit through six hours of the 1995, despite the fact that I think it's the best adaptation uh, mm. that exists of Pride and Prejudice. But then I thought, wait, Fire Island exists. Uh, and so that is what we watched. It mm. is a gay, modern adaptation of Pride and Prejudice retelling the story uh, with a group of friends going to Fire Island, which for people who don't know, is a, a little enclave on Long Island in New York um, that has historically been a space for uh, the queer community to come together, specifically in the summers, um, to, mm. you know, escape persecution and just be and be in community. Um, despite being a New Yorker, I have not been there myself someday. Should we um, should we go in May or what? Like it sounds like we should go. Done. Absolutely. And it's just it might be like a little chilly, but it's just before all the craziness of Pride Month kicks off. Yeah. So it actually Ooh. might be a good time to go. Well, um, noted. And but, I want to um, I want to get to a little bit on how you came across the film and like your sort of relationship to it in just a bit. 
what I want to do is jump into some fun facts on the film first, tell you guys a little bit of stuff that I found yes. online. And since this is one of your films as well, if you do find that there's more stuff that I haven't mentioned that you want to add, feel free to, to add. Um, yeah, so some fun facts on uh, Fire Island from 2022. And it's with them, baby. I'll hit you. Don't you worry. Oh, good. Uh, so adapted from one of the most well-known Jane Austen novels, which, mind you, is now over 200 years old, this modern-day queer rom-com was written by and starring Joel Kim Booster, alongside Bowen Yang, Margaret Cho, Conrad Rickamora, and James Scully. The film had a box office opening of... Drumroll, please. Want a drumroll for me, Kate? Okay. Zero. It had a box office opening of zero. And that's not because it sucked. It's because it was released on Hulu and had no theatrical run. And there's no... Okay, that tracks. <laughs> there's no... Um, what's the word? Like, financials for it because streaming services are um, real shady. Real shady. Anyway. We had strikes over this. So this I found really interesting. This film sparked a brief controversy on whether it passed the Bechtel test. So critics were stating that the film failed miserably. And then Alison Bechtel herself counted uh, that being about gay men and an Asian gay man at that, it should get a pass. And it showed a different kind of inclusivity. She actually tweeted, okay, I just added a corollary to the Bechtel test. Two men talking to each other about the female protagonist of an Alice Munro story in a screenplay structured on a Jay Austen novel equals a pass. <laughs> I love that. I don't remember why. My roommate and I were talking about Alison Bechtel earlier. Um, we we love. We love. Yeah. We love. Thank you for that fun fact. I did not um, know that. Yeah. So uh, it was made on a budget of 10 million USD as well. So not all that expensive. Again, we like to, um, what's the word, uh, show everything relative to a Hell or High Water lately, which was a $12 million film. So $2 million less. It costs a lot to, to be gay on film, I guess. Um, I am really proud that uh, just just for the record, I am really proud that Hell or High Water is our metric for judging oh, yeah. is things more or less expensive than Hell or High Water. Um, yeah, uh, it essentially that that's kind of what we end up doing here. Also, uh, the view with, with Drew has just joined us in chat as well. So thanks for joining and thank you so much for the follow on Instagram as well. Um, so as we said, you're the yeah. man or the person or however you identify, you are the Drew. So the film was released. You on are the, the Drew. The film was released on the third of June in twenty twenty two, and it has a six point seven out of ten on IMDb from only thirteen thousand reviews, and it has a three point five out of five on Letterboxd as well. It was nominated for two primetime Emmys, so like best, uh, like straight to streaming film and best oh. uh, TV movie or limited series. And uh, it features an incredibly diverse cast, uh, and as stated, features uh, a gay Asian man in prominent lead roles, which happens very rarely, if ever. And delivers a beautiful romantic comedy for the queer community, which can be enjoyed by anyone and everyone by also exploring themes that anyone could relate to. Just keeping it inclusive and also teaching viewers a little bit more about a community that they may not be all that informed on. Also, does anyone know how much a ticket to Fire Island is? That's it. I need that for a fun fact. And a friend, right? <laughs> like yeah. you're asking for a friend? It's like, I want to know because a friend wants to purchase a ticket. That's that's why I'm, I don't actually like have for it. the ferry because I'll look I it mean, up. Like, <laughs> let's let, let's take it offline. Cost. Let's take it offline. We will figure it out. Absolutely. Like, yeah, um, you you get there via ferry. That is an important plot point. Okay, but like film. ferry, like F E R Y or ferry, like F A I R Y, because I feel like either one could. <laughs> I feel like there should be there should be a, a joke about that. Um, it feels right. But 
CNAF, this is why you need to write a script. Hey. This is why you need to do it. Uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. I will, anyway, I will, I will. so as we're going, uh, this is also a, a good time to remind our audience over there that this is going to be a bit of a spoiler discussion. Now, obviously, we're not kind of the kind of podcast that's going to beat for beat, go through the film and do things like that. However, we do advise you to watch the film beforehand just because it's going to really, you know, uh, we think that this conversation is going to be a lot more fruitful if you do know the ins and outs of the film. However, if you're kind of person like me who loves hearing your friends talk about films when you haven't really seen them, but you're like, OK, uh, I if you talk about spoilers, it actually might convince me to watch the movie, uh, then stick around, enjoy it and things there. And then if you stick around to the very end, we do announce the film for next week. So you can get a head start on that uh, or wait and repeat the process like I do. And so there we are. But uh, absolutely. We're very, very, very excited to be able to bring this to you and get started with some of these few topics and yeah. things there. We got a lot going on. So uh, Neff, where this should we start off? It's chock full of content, honestly. Yeah, it is. That's that's, oh. that's why we're good. So um, what I want to do a little bit first is um, Kate, were you aware of this film existing before the wonderful Elizabeth brought it to your attention? Honestly, like, like, cause Elizabeth and I have been talking uh, just in general, like we were after celebration, we really hit it Netflix. off and like, we would be just chatting about things there. Oh, you know, just, uh, exactly. But, but I think that that was the first time that Elizabeth, I had never even heard of the film. I, I had, I didn't even know this thing exists again. I, I was like you not, I don't know. Sure. If you knew this film existed, but, as as per recently, you and I both finding out that shit exists and being like, OK, and the term Fire Island. For some reason, I uh, that there's there's like another thing that I was getting it mixed up with where it was like, um, I think it was the fire festival. I thought that like something like that, like uh, that one. They did and do I, a documentary I, about that. Yeah. And that was what I thought we might be watching. And then that was where it was like, oh, very different. Very different. You like go into this similar, very different. Yeah. And so I so I watched a true crime documentary and then uh, found out. No, I'm joking. But um, uh, that was all I knew was Mm. Elizabeth had recommended it to me and I knew it was gay pride and prejudice. But that was it. And uh, yeah, exactly. But now how about yourself? Yes, yeah, so my my experience was pretty similar to yourself. Like I, again, I didn't really know it existed. I actually found out today that um, like Clueless uh was also an adaptation uh of Pride and Prejudice. That I was like, oh, uh, okay. of Emma. Um, Clueless is an adaptation of Emma. Ah, okay. Um, okay. So yeah, I, I guess when I was looking at my phone facts and stuff before, they were talking about other things. So I was like, ah, which one is it? But yes. Uh, so there are other adaptations of this stuff too that I had no idea of, and um. Yeah, the most uh, shocking thing to me was th- those messages that we were talking about, Elizabeth, where I messaged you and I was like, hey, like, give me some like ideas for films. And I start looking them up. And the way that you phrased uh, the recommendation for this film that was just like, you know, Fire Island, Pride and Prejudice, bit gay. And we just didn't say anything else. I was like, done. That is done. Yep. <laughs> uh, and to check it out. Uh, it was available. Uh, if you're in Australia, it's available on Disney Plus, uh, which is really cool. And it is also available. Well, I guess Disney and Hulu are owned by the same, by the same yeah. parent company, so that that does make sense. Mm. And now and it's definitely not the... family friendly. Oh, that's true. Fair warning. But uh, now it's now it is available in the U.S. on because like Hulu is like if you have the bundle with yeah. Hulu, like Disney Plus is starting to incorporate them on the same platform now. Yeah. 
So uh, you should be. That was how I was able to access it, okay, too. Cool. So, yeah. If, it, or regardless, if you have Hulu, it's there. Yeah. So. No, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, so it was something that was fresh to me, too. And I've actually been recommending it to people as well. Like I had uh, one of my friends the other day literally was like, um, I need a recommendation for a film. And I told her, OK, like you're going to love this. It's, it's Fire Island. And they're like, OK, like my bad. I'm like, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, and they're like, I'm in, and they watched it last night, and they messaged me about how much they loved it. Uh, so they might actually join the uh, the stream today, but we'll see. Uh, oh, I'm so glad. If not, hello, if you're listening on demand. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I knew not too much about this film at all, and what I want to do before we get into some of the like topics of conversation, Elizabeth, is I want to know like what your relationship to this film is. Like, how did you come to find it? Um, and what what was your kind of experience, even the first time you watched it? Yeah, I don't remember how I found it. This was only um, like a year and a bit ago. I know that, Why are you like this? Oh, no, I watched this. No, I watched this like a solidly a while ago <laughs> with a roommate who we both really like, enjoy Jane Austen. Um, but we watched it together and I'm like, what? Because I'm always looking for a new Austen. I mean, my, my copy of Pride and Prejudice is, is very, she's very well loved. Mm-hmm. But I just... I was struck by just the, in a sense, the simplicity of the adaptation. Like it just hits all the key points so successfully, but at the same time, if you didn't really know that it was Pride and Prejudice, aside from him literally quoting the opening of Pride and Prejudice and the opening of the movie, you might not know that it's a Jane Austen adaptation the same way you wouldn't know that Clueless is an adaptation of Emma unless you know. Yeah. which I love. I think that that's really successful and also speaks to the 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 tropes of the movie being successful over time. But yeah. I, I don't remember why I first watched it, but I know that I did, and I'm like, holy cow, I love this movie. I watched it twice this week um, with my roommate, and yeah, I mean, the first time we watched like, it last yes. week, we there were certain moments where I literally was kicking my feet, giggling, having yeah. such a good time. Um, yeah. Also, it was specifically the 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 dance the dance battle scene because it was like a combination of this is so silly and I love it, but also like really hardcore secondhand embarrassment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was that was a challenge, but and it'll be an interesting it, scene it, to kind of discuss as well because I think that it does balance these these like even as you mentioned, I'm like it is so embarrassing, and then it's like you're willing to put yourself to that kind of embarrassment for someone. Oh. Yeah, that's also like like minor flex. But um, the drag queen who's hosting the dance off, her name is Peppermint. She's um, I don't know her exact status as a competitor, but she's been on RuPaul's Drag Race. I've met her a couple times. She was in a Broadway show that I love very much. She's a lovely human being. Um, Miss Peppermint, I love you. Uh, Head over heels was not the most successful Broadway musical, but goodness gracious, did I love it. Yeah. So when you got to watch this movie, do you remember, like, was it just a click and watch and you were like, holy shit, wait, it's this? Or was it like, a, oh, we're watching Fire Island tonight, which is a gay remake of Pride and Prejudice? I think I knew that it was Pride and Prejudice. I don't remember why I knew that, mm. but I think I remember knowing going into it that this is Pride and Prejudice yeah. and being like, okay, yeah, no, this is for me. This yeah, is awesome. It was, Oh, yeah. I mean, this film seems like it was really made like like us having our conversation, stuff like that. This feels like something that was so up your alley. Like this was just like, 
entirely. perfectly tailored yeah. for you. The only it, thing that could make it more me is like some sci-fi stuff, but that wouldn't fit, and that's fine. I mean, it's like the two different hey, like facets of my personality as a human, and that's fine. Well, if you think about it, technically, they talk about gays in space, so like there's a bit of sci-fi in there. Okay, there's a bit of sci-fi. In they there. mentioned space balls. Excellent point. So, Excellent yeah. point. Um, space balls, which is of course a Star Wars. Uh, parody yeah um, oh exactly yeah. there is another fun fact on this Just actually, give them a lightsaber that i didn't include on our fun fact and it's the movie was originally going to be like a short series on the web service quibi and then quibi went under before the film came out and in the film uh margaret cho's character goes i no. have lost all my money and they're like what do you mean it's like you know me i was never good with money i was an early investor in quibi and that's just I was oh that's so funny oh my god i think quibi was the one that they were going to do like vertical like films and stuff so you could watch Very vertical content i think that's what it was but it, it died it, it died. oh boy well it was also just going to be in general like a different streaming service like in, yeah. in general there but yeah it was like it was one of those that went down like a lead balloon absolutely yeah like, and if you want an episodic pride and prejudice retelling i'll have a recommendation at the end oh, oh exactly nice. nice little hook um yeah beautiful well um it's a good uh point to jump into our first topic of conversation and it's around like the cultures like we said we've got a film that's taken a story that's existed already and a historically and you know, it's a heterosexual story which is like totally fine and uh they've applied gay culture to it and i think that there is a lot in this film that uh may be shocking to some people but the film yeah. does a fantastic job of kind of like drip feeding bits of information like that to you to not kind of like fully overwhelm and also just teach a little bit like those kind of voiceover moments i think help a lot in that and i wondered k uh did you have anything you wanted to speak oh, on specifically yeah. around like the culture in the film and how it's represented absolutely well uh you know i was listening to a podcast today and they put something similar uh about the concept of like what i really love about film is that when a film is done really right and especially a film that uh represents culture that an audience member may not be familiar with. Like for me, I very recently came out as bi, came out as uh, like, you know, demisexual. So like I'm learning about gay culture and becoming educated about all this stuff. But one of the things that I really have felt that kind of wasn't reflected in media was how diverse gay culture is within itself, that there is a lot of nuance to it, that there is a lot of this kind of, very much not not necessarily infighting but there kind of is there's a little bit of pettiness where these kind of gays don't get along with these kind of gays but it's like you know it's it's so interesting because obviously in media a lot of times gay storytelling because of the very nature of needing representation has been simplified yeah to being like man like man woman like woman maybe you have something in the middle but it's a very you don't really get a lot of stories that really go beyond that uh yeah. and what i really like about a film like this is it's immersed in gay culture and it's clearly written by somebody who i assume is from the community because it's like it has that that nuance to it and all the actors i believe are gay like i believe it's like legit representation around the board yeah if they're not they certainly Exactly. And uh, obviously none of us can necessarily speak to the Asian representation within the film, of which there is plenty. And I'm very interested in to hear what others have to say about that aspect in particular. If you don't hear us cover it, it's because 
I'm white and I'm not going to say shit about that in fear of getting canceled. And um, <laughs> like, uh, you know. Yeah, I understand that. And I think that one of the things that I really appreciated about the film is that uh, the way that, re- that it presents gay culture is just normal. Like there isn't uh, yeah. anything that happens in the film that's shocking to anyone. Everything is just normal. And I think that's something that, when you're trying to make a film that's showcasing, you know, the lives of like certain people, it can feel like a little, uh, what's the word? Like, like heavy handed sometimes of like, Hey, like, yes, that don't forget it's going to the island because of like this and this and this and this, and we need to explain. And, and when you have, you know, uh, characters from a bunch of different cultures too, uh, and sexualities and things, often you have people who are kind of, uh, what's the word? Not like ostracized, but you know, that they're separate from the main cast, you know, like, Oh, in the sitcom, you have isolated. the three friends and the gay guy. You know? and, oh, man, we need to make mm. jokes about the gay guy. But isolated is exactly the right word. Uh, yeah. And because everyone here is sort of on the same level, you know, they're all, they're all similar people. They have, like, same lifestyles. The fact that you can just tell a story that is, um, it, it's like when we talk about, for example, like, neurodivergent characters and, go, okay, like, it's not, it's not the fact that uh, everything has to come back to remind us, hey, don't forget this character's autistic mm-hmm. or they have ADHD. Sometimes they just they just are, they just exist, you know? And the fact that the characters within this film are allowed to just exist as they are, I think is really, really beautiful. And it was... Um, it's the concept of, like, coding characters. Like, you know, yeah. people talk about gay coded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's a very interesting point because sometimes it's like, to me, I'm like, is this character gay coded? Or is this just simply a gay, a well-written gay character? Yeah. And like, I, yeah. where it's like, this is just a gay character. That's yeah. just a part of it. Yeah. And because it, yeah. it's, it, it, there's somewhere, yes, that is coded because it's not direct. But it, it, at the same time, I'm like, I think that it's just more people approach it subtly. Yeah. I think uh, like, we'll, like, we'll talk about the neurodivergency of, uh, you know, Mr. Darcy later. Uh, and I think that that's a good example of that is yeah. like, that's not the point, but it's certainly indicated. Yeah. And, uh, well, um, but I, but yeah, so th- yeah. that's my thoughts on it. Elizabeth, yeah. I'm very curious about your thoughts on this. Cause obviously, you know, uh, I know that obviously we like, we're all very passionate about the subject matter and to see the representation be so effortless. I'm curious what you, how you feel and how that played into the adaptation of it all. I mean, I, I, I love it. I, I agree with everything that you both said about it. I think one of the things that I was thinking about when we're talking about the culture just existing is at the same time, I do think that one of the things that was done really well is the brief bits of narration from uh, Noah, uh, Joel Kim Booster's uh, character, his narration of explaining the few little bits of culture that you need in order to understand the action. Like, this is why we have the tea dance. This is why just those little bits of explanation, but they're just so perfectly crafted. It's not heavy handed. It's just that little bit of historical context to like nudge that in and make sure that you know the audience understands why this is important mm. why this is a part of the culture um i think that also at the same time the writing is and the way that they talk about the culture is also critical in a way that i think yeah. is dealt with very interestingly um when they're on the boat at the beginning and they're talking about the expectations of you know being in this space with these people for these this week you know there's the specific line um 
no fats, no fat, no Asians. Mm-hmm. Like this is what mm-hmm. gay men want, and 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 critiquing the um, the societal standards of what is acceptable for um, specifically gay men. This is definitely more about gay men than it is about lesbians. Although you know there is the sort of lesbian side character who's phenomenal, um, and I. It sort of will get into adaptation, but tying that in to the criticisms of Regency England and the societal structure therein, and Lizzie's perspective of what she finds silly about the world that she lives in, um, I think is done so well. Um, and just the way that, yeah, they tie in the, the relative. Uh, relevant, excuse me, historical context in ways that are just just perfectly balanced, and it's also self-critical in a way that I think mm-hmm. it, it deserves to be being told from essentially the perspective of a gay Asian man. Yeah, because that's presumably Booster's, uh, Jolkin Booster's perspective writing this film and creating this adaptation and writing it for himself, yeah. perhaps. Oh yeah. And, and it's a very beautiful thing in that regard, like kind of, as you put it, with being able to adapt the modern, uh, adapt the past to fit the modern by simply just replacing the different things there. And I think it then also calls into question stuff that we may not be thinking about and stuff that it is like I never thought about the gay body image stuff because I know I deal with some of that. And it's that thing of there where it's like that is a problem like you can't like don't do that sort of thing there but at the same time it's like it's a different part of the culture different things there but now if i uh, now if i'm curious like with regards to th- this topic as a whole i'm curious about like you know your thoughts on watching this in this way yeah well um there was one other point that i wanted to add and, uh, and elizabeth's actually covered a little bit too because you'd mentioned around like that the films come from a perspective like because you like the, the gay asian perspective and, and as elizabeth said and we said in the fun facts too so joel kim booster uh, wrote the film uh, and is starring in it. So the actor who plays Noah, the, the main character, that's the writer of the film. And so the perspective mm. of like a gay Asian man uh, comes across, you know, supposedly really well, it's coming directly from him. And um, yeah, I know that particularly that line you were talking about as well, Elizabeth, like I've heard that in like real life too. And I was like, okay, I have questions about that. And having um, like, yeah, someone who was gay and Asian kind of explain like the hierarchy of stuff within the community to me was a little like shocking of like, Oh, this is like how we rank people and look for people. Like it is, I thought it was really interesting how that was portrayed in the film where you have almost both ends of the spectrum. Where you have like Noah who's going, okay, like I am Asian. So in some instances I'm going to be like not as desired as someone else. So I'm going to overcompensate or like, you know, try and do things to, to, to like improve that. And you have, uh, Bowen Yang's character, who is very, very different to Noah in terms of, like we're talking like body image and things like that, that you find that both of these characters are struggling from the same thing and they've handled it so differently. And I think that that is so yes. uh, indicative of what real life is like as well. Where, you know, like you may have almost a similar experience to what I have. We might have the same fears or the same traumas, but how we handle them is entirely different. Um yeah, like I think that that aspect of it is really, uh, really interesting. Like we said, and I was, like, there isn't heaps more that I can kind of talk on that because it's not my experience specifically. But yeah, like listening to that and being able to relate it to something that I heard in real life and that I'd started learning about was like, oh, yeah, damn. Because like that, yeah. is a, that is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
And Kay, you mentioned that there was probably another point that you wanted to talk to you a little bit on that as well. And then we might jump yeah. over and talk about the adaptation a little bit, but why don't you well, actually, us I out think on this will be it. Ultra? Yeah, I think this is actually a perfect way to transition to, into the adaptation because one thing that I thought was a very interesting point of view that I don't know if they meant to hit, but it ended up kind of seeping its way in there was um, through Bowen Yang's character versus Noah's, like, you know, Noah. What I really loved about that, uh, one thing that I'm very passionate about is ace representation in media. Um, and I, because I think that it tends to be one of the ones that is overlooked, understandably, because sex sells, and it's a little bit a uh, thing there. And, uh, you know, people just don't understand how to properly portray it in a way that's beautiful and interesting. Uh, and I think it mainly comes from a misunderstanding of, of Ace. But one of the things I thought was so interesting about this film was, and I think this comes to adaptation, it was very interesting to me that, like, because, you know, obviously, and, you know, Pride and Prejudice, correct me if I'm wrong, Elizabeth, but Lizzie is not necessarily very sex-driven or things there, but it's it's a very much a, like, more of a, she wants her independence, she doesn't want to be tied down, she doesn't want things there, and the fact that they chose to swap that with more of a, a hypersexual gay man who doesn't like the attachment, I thought that was a very interesting adaptation to cover the same thing in a different way. And yeah. what I really appreciated was the fact that Bowen Yang's character represented more of the aceness yeah. of love in a like more asexual interpretation of it. Because I, I personally uh, related more with that, where I'm less interested in having like just, you know, go out and having sex. I want to get to know people. I really want to understand who they are. And I would much rather have the, oh, we just talked all night and did a puzzle. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Like, that's a beautiful thing. Like, like I'll, I'll do you if you want to go and, you know, fuck your brains out the first night. But I'm like, to me, I'm like, I think that there's a beauty to getting to know people in that instance. And that's just something that I thought was a very particular thing that I don't know if they meant to do it, but it felt like they were kind of representing those different things in a way that, uh, very similar to a project I'm working on in my own right, that I love seeing that sort of represent represented. And at first I was worried, are you shaming Bo and Yang for not wanting sex? Which I do think there is a little bit of that. However, I think that the film does a great job of painting Noah as not being correct. Yeah, I think that's the and I thing. think that that's why I I am okay with it, and I think actually that's why I think it's actually good representation of aceness in that regard. Yeah, I was trying to find uh, a quote. I don't remember if it's from uh, the book or if it, I'm remembering it in my mind as being particularly from the 1995 Pride and Prejudice adaptation. But Lizzie says something. I don't remember if it's a direct quote from the book, but she says like only the deepest love will induce me to matrimony. You know, she's only mm. in it. Her only interest in getting married is she wants a love match. She's not going to do it just for for material reasons. Um, and I I I do love um, Bowen's character Howie. You know, in the moment where they're on the roof and. Noah's all like, you know, I just want you to get laid and have a good time and go out. And 
how he's like, I want the romance. I want the guy standing under my window with a boombox. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I love that dichotomy between the two of them. Um, but I also, I, I find it a bit of a funny departure from the source material. Yeah. Um, I, but I, I, I do love the, the, the different representation, you know, essentially what everybody's going to be different in what they're looking for out of a relationship. And I, but I, I do think it's, it's interesting in the context of this film of uh, that, you know, the Jane character is, you know, obviously Jane's romantic, you know, she very quickly sets up a, you know, romantic uh, emotional interest with someone. Um, and Lizzie just doesn't care about any of it. Um, but in this situation, you have, you know, three of the four or three of the five. So Luke, Keegan and Noah. Keegan? Um, and I guess sort of Max. Um <laughs> It's kind of that story sort of left up in the air for me in a way that I don't entirely love. But I also think that that's traditional to Pride and Prejudice, too, with Mary. Um, That they are there to fuck around. Pardon my French. They're there to sleep with people. And and, you know, it's a it's a rite of passage, Noah says, to to sleep with somebody on Fire Island or many somebodies if that if you're so inclined. Um, Um, and, and seeing Howie as the one set aside and sort of seeing the world kind of differently, um, than, than Noah does. I, I just think it's an interesting, um, way of reassessing the story. Um, I don't disagree with it by any means. Uh, but it, it's just interesting to me. Oh, yeah. Looking at them. Well, and the relationship between the two of them. I just, I always love it. You know, the sibling relationship and the way that yeah. they also are like sisters, even though, you know, they're all uh-huh. men. And, and that is again, tying into the culture of, you know, femininity and that term not being exclusive to women, yeah. which is kind of fun. Um, I was thinking, and that occasionally they do use she, her pronouns for each other. I mean, usually it's sort of in a snarky sort of way. Um, but I, yeah, I think it plays into the, the idea of them being a family, even if it's a chosen family rather than blood. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a, um, a lot of sense too. And I was thinking about that point when we were discussing, you know, adaptation and the things that you know, are changed in bringing this to a modern story. And I found that, um, that, aspect that isn't really touched on all that deeply we don't really know much about noah's past we just hear that you know you guys are all that i have you guys are my family i think Mm. that that's a really it's a really clever touch to bring that story of it's about a bunch of sisters um into the modern era and make it about you know um yeah a bunch of best friends Uh, and yeah i thought that that aspect of it was really interesting i was hoping to like hear or see more about that and understand maybe what's happened but i think that you can kind of put two and two together, you know, like generally when people come out a lot of the time, depending on family scenarios, like it's not the most pleasant experience afterwards and it can impact relationships with family and friends and all that kind of stuff. So you can probably put two and two together. Yeah. Like of what, of what happened and why he doesn't have his main family anymore. But I did love, I thought it was really beautiful. Those little moments. I tend to really gravitate towards those kinds of stories. So I thought it was really beautiful in those bits where, He's just sitting with um I can't remember her name but Margaret Cho's character um and just Aaron. Talking, yeah, she's with Aaron. Aaron and just 
talking about she's just yeah just just talking you know and and her giving him advice about um about his friends too and how like you know he doesn't need this right now like this isn't what it's about you're not understanding it's a big learning experience for for him too in this film oh that was really cool. so the, the found family aspect yeah. i think was a really great touch in the adaptation okay i know that you were thinking a bit on adaptation too like you yeah, yeah. what what other points did you want to touch on there yeah well absolutely well I, you know one thing that you know elizabeth and you have both have kind of touched on one of the things that i find so interesting is you know there's a lot of people that will say we shouldn't study shakespeare anymore like what does shakespeare have to do with our modern culture or you know i have a map it, behind me of shakespeare so oh, if anybody oh, says yeah. that to me i will fight I, you I, I agree and and you know here's the thing i think a lot of times it's how stuff is taught right like it's kind of the idea of like even greek mythology and things there uh like to me uh you see it countlessly in media when people retell a story and you know people are always like oh don't remake this don't do these things there some stories really continue to be relevant and I, why shouldn't we limit ourselves why why do we limit ourselves to only coming up with new things when sometimes going back into the past and trying something and seeing there is something here to be mined to be dealt with and applied and as naf you were saying i think that there are certain things when you adapt and you are able to truly understand, you know, what it is that you're adapting. And it, and you're able, there are even aspects of that where like, I don't think the found family stuff obviously resonates as well in the original pride and prejudice because it's simply a family and there is a beauty to that, but you don't really get some of those elements and the concept of sisterhood is weirdly it's it's there in obviously in Pride and Prejudice, but it's a very different visceral thing when it is a chosen sisterhood between two men. And that puts even them using that word. It makes us as an audience think about that word more. Yeah. And it's such a, it's such an interesting thing because like I just I hate when I hear people say you shouldn't like or Shakespeare doesn't matter. Or these things don't matter. Like if it's only this, because because people do, and that's because you were you were read it in a dry English class where none of you guys are trained Shakespearean actors. None of you know how to do this. I didn't appreciate Shakespeare until I heard it. Yeah. And then when I heard it done, I was like, "Oh my yeah. god, this is brilliant!" And it finally made sense to me. And that's what I think is such a brilliant thing when it comes to. Uh, these ad adaptations yeah. and i think that it's such a nice little cheeky way that they did with this one in particular where you just see uh the pride and prejudice novel on the desk but that's like yes they they reference it but they don't really draw much attention to it other than that and i even love that they adapt that they could have easily had jane austen's books be one of the books that when um you know the two of them sit down to talk they could have been about Jane Austen, but it wasn't. It was about someone else. And I was I like, you know, I'm too on the nose. Honestly. Exactly. But I also was like, are they going to do that? Because like because a lot of films will nail hit the nail on the head and, you know, do stuff like that. But that's not what they would be discussing. Yeah. And I thought that that was a yeah. brilliant move. And I don't know. It's just it's stuff like this that affirms in me 
what I love about adaptation and what I love about the fact that it is, these stories continue to be timeless and they should be. And I think that we should encourage more filmmakers to go to the past, find something that resonates with you and bring something new out of it. Find something yep. and, t- and bring it here. And that's, I, I love this shit. I love it. I also think that, I mean, you, you know, we talk about, you know, with, uh, more like YA lit and uh, the, the the tropes. So, and I mean, this kind of runs the gamut. I mean, the biggest one is enemies to lovers. Yeah, we all love it. We all love it. We also love the meet cute to the the breakup yeah. to the getting back together. We love it. I also, uh, I also uh, have always found a lot of similarities between the Pride and Prejudice tropes and Much Ado About Nothing, which is my second favorite yep. Shakespeare play. Um, it, totally same same story, different font. Obviously, some minor differences with like pretending that somebody died to make someone feel awful about themselves. But the Shakespeare that's Shakespeare. of it all. He's over dramatic. Um, <laughs> the Shakespeare of it all, indeed. Shakespeare is a messy queen. Yeah, yes. we, we were just talking about. Why doesn't we love him for it? Uh, Molly was saying <laughs> that Shakespeare is literally the bedrock to everything. And someone hilarious said, "And that man would have rocked many beds too, and would have enjoyed himself in Fire Island." I don't know who made the joke, but they're really funny. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I heard they're really handsome. I just remember. Yeah, I mean, uh, William Shakespeare. There's many academics who think that he was canonically queer. I'm sure that there are people who canonically uh, is like <laughs> the human history <laughs> is canon. Is that a thing? The human history of canon. <laughs> He is, oh. he is in historic language. Oh my is hard. God. Um, Can you time code that? Okay, legends that. are truly legends. I'm sorry. I need to reconnect. Like, hold on. Give me a second because that was actually fucking great. Oh, I time coded that. Shakespeare was probably. Shakespeare is canonically. That's going in the I'm going to amend my statement by saying that there are many academics who think based on. Uh, some of his writings that Shakespeare was possibly bisexual. It, it, believe what you want. They made jokes in Doctor Who about it. It was great. Um, uh, there are, I think, also very possibly some people that think that Jane Austen might have been gay. I'm not going to get too far into it. I don't. Know. What is and what isn't Shakespeare canon? Chase asks. This is this is important questions. That um, is also true. <laughs> but there's interesting things in my so many uh, things. So I was just going to say no, my, ahead, my English teacher when I was in high school had that belief as well. Um, he, I remember him saying, you know, like, just just if you guys think about it, back in those times, women also weren't allowed to be on the stage playing characters. So the men would dress up mm. as the female characters to play. And he's like, when he's writing these feelings, is he writing it for the characters? Is he writing it for the people that he's going to see? And I was like, that is an interesting thought experiment, please. Yeah, but sorry to interrupt. It you. also adds an extra layer when, uh, with the cross-dressing plays. Um, one of my, my number one favorite is As You Like It, which you have a female character uh, who would have been historically played by a man who dresses up as a man in the show. And just the layers and the complex, As You Like It, is absolutely his gayest play. But we're not talking oh, about Shakespeare sure. today. We're talking about Jane Austen. Um, I could get off on a Shakespeare tangent. Don't get me started. Um, we'll do a bruise and bullshit about Shakespeare at some point. Please. <laughs> please. I am ready. I am ready. Um, Done. But Jane Austen, adaptations, queerness, tropes. That's where we That's where we were going. Yeah. Um, yes. And I, I just think it's always... I, I love the idea of um, taking 
something i think there's other examples of um really successful uh older media adaptations i think one of my absolute favorites is 10 things i hate about you did you know that's a shakespeare mm-hmm. adaptation it is yep. um, I've not seen it. obviously we talked about clueless as an adaptation of emma um she's the man is an adaptation of 12th night also William that's Peter. what i've heard I think yeah. often those just like let, they just tend to lend themselves really well i think you know the concepts of the universal themes you know you it could speak forever about the kind of things that just continue to be a, a part of a part of the human experience yeah um and i i this is a here's a fun fact is that the actual first working title of pride and prejudice was called first impressions that was what That's the novel true. was going to be called and then she changed it to pride and prejudice there's a continuous ongoing debate about which one is the pride and which one is the prejudice um the answer is both no los that's, yeah. that's the answer. Yeah, I I took an entire class on Jane Austen in college. Uh, You're a bit of a nerd, aren't you? Shout out Professor Greenfield. Yeah, just a little. I was an English major, so I I spent a lot of time Correct. studying Shakespeare and Jane Austen. Those were really my you know collegiate academic special interests. Damn. Um, I wrote an entire paper in college about how a modernized web series adaptation of Pride and Prejudice turned Lydia Bennet into the heroine she always deserved to be. More on that later. Mm. Sorry, what did we say about heroin? I have heroin? a lot of feelings about that element of the story. <laughs> um, that naff just... Uh, <laughs> but I just... I just... I, They're so good. How can you not talk about loves, this? Like... Makes it new. Um, and adding new new elements to it and the slight variations on the story that make it interesting. Finding the specific taglines throughout the film... Um, you know, there are some bigger plot points that you're like, oh, yep, I exactly see that reference. And there's a little thing, other things like um, there's specifically the the character who um, goes up to both Howie and Noah and then tangentially to Will and is like trying to guess like what their ethnicity is. It's like, oh, are you yeah. Korean? You look Korean. Are you Filipino? You look Filipino. Um, that's Mr. Collins. Oh, That's for basically sure. the Mr. Collins character. But, you know, taking away that role in the movie, probably a good thing. Um, we don't need a, a montage about boiled potatoes. Um, Wait a minute. That man was my man. That man in that adaptation, Mr. Collins in that film, is thinking about the right things. He's talking about right. those scrumptious potatoes. And we my, love potatoes. But, you know... Just that, you know, the concept of that that person who gets in the situation makes everybody uncomfortable. Um, I do think it's interesting that they changed it for him to be going after the Jane character. Um, well, actually, no, that does make sense because at first he's like, oh, I want to marry Jane. And Mrs. Bennett's like, no, she's already taken. And then he goes to Lizzie um, and then to Charlotte. We Interestingly, I, I, I want to take a second to talk about Erin as a character and the amalgamation of characters that she is. Because I see her as essentially being three different characters from Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. She is Charlotte, the confidant yeah. best friend, who tells it how it is, um, and is not afraid afraid to call Lizzie out on her bullshit. Yep. She's Mr. Bennett in the sort of guiding oh, yeah. light parental role, yeah. but also the creepy crazy well. Mrs. Bennett losing her mind yeah. over the craziness um trying to get everybody uh in with somebody and um yeah I, I find her really fascinating as a character bringing all of those 
things into one person and narrowing that down. I think it's also an effective storytelling and just like, I think it's just efficient. It's efficient to have all of those roles in one person rather than have these three very um, one note characters you get to bring it all together into one person who's just so multifaceted and gets to play different roles depending on what the situation needs and i really like how they did that and also margaret cho's phenomenal yeah i was gonna say oh, there's yeah. that too and it allows for a lot more screen time for her too because had she only played one of those three characters she wouldn't be in it as much and wouldn't be as good she's fantastic you know she steals the show every time she's on screen and so good it, it probably isn't even a bad time to even transition to our next point which was about like characters like did either of you have any final points on just like the adaptation part of it before we talk about some of the characters and our feelings on them i mean i'll I be talking about of... the adaptation of it all night because that's that's where that's my favorite exactly. on this film is we'll, we'll as a pride and prejudice adaptation but... exactly we'll, we'll keep like looping i back think it'll just get more well. specified yeah yeah well like um i want to essentially ask a question to you guys around a specific character because uh, often you come across people in films and in shows that you go i know that you are meant to be the asshole and you are meant to be frustrating when i watch you but i am like i am so beyond frustrated here that it's it's impacting my viewing experience uh and that that happens to me sometimes with uh with particularly like you know when you got sitcoms and you've got that one annoying character and you're like i get it okay you're annoying and you're funny and you're stupid and everybody like, okay, cool. At a certain point, I'm just like, stop, just stop. And yeah. um, I felt They that- just make you like irrationally angry. Exactly. And that's the mark of a good character that they oh, elicit yeah. that kind of reaction yeah. in you. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's fantastic work to the actor. So kudos. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, obviously fantastic work to the writers because that, especially when it's intentional that the character makes you feel like that. For me, that character was Cooper in this film, who is friends with uh, Charlie, who's the main love interest, and Will, who's Noah's main love interest. He's like the... He does not think that oh, either of these yeah. people should end up with, with them. And every single time he's on screen, it's, the, it's how dead he is behind the eyes and the smile, which, like, it looks like a character who's had, like, their, their teeth, like, replaced with fake ones. What, what do you call them? Um... Veneers. veneers. It's like he's got a fresh set of veneers and his fake tan. And he's always like, hi, what are you doing? And I'm like, ah, stop. Stop. Leave my boys alone. So, he's so aggressively fake. Yes, that's yes. um, And, and that's that really eyes. frustrates me. Yeah. yeah, like you can tell that the smile does not reach the eyes. And I think all yep. of us as neurodivergent people um, have had to pay so much attention to people's social cues and what are they giving oh, off yeah. in this moment it's easier with him because it's so overt yeah um but yeah and nick, Ad- and nick adams so is the actor playing cooper he's primarily yeah. a theater guy um and he's very talented very very nice singing yeah. voice I mean, but oh, he fucking God, nailed it angry he fucking nailed so it good. like he's so good at making you want to hate him yeah, yeah. And, and and it's like that's a tough thing. Yeah, that's a absolutely. tough thing. And it's interesting that like um you've got another character in this film that is very hateable as well. And like the guy who did the actual horrible thing, I didn't hate as much as the guy who was kind of mean. <laughs> and I don't know what that says about me, 
I obviously I hated him too, but I was like, um, but he what? had charm. <laughs> he was hot. Yeah. No, um, but <laughs> I mean, they're both charm. very, very, very pretty they're individuals. Both very attractive. Yeah. But one's a, what, one makes me feel bad about me. Yeah. One makes me like, I feel like the minute they would look at me and say, hi, what are you doing? I would just crumple into a corner because yeah. I'm like, because I'm like, I know what you mean by that. And I'm sorry. I don't know what I did. Yeah. Exactly <laughs> right. So so he was my oh, main man. like frustration in the film in terms of a character. And there are heaps of others I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, the people that we loved too. But I know before we jumped on stream, Elizabeth, you were talking about how in this adaptation in particular, you like Lizzie, Lizzie, <laughs> at least. Uh, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit more to that. Yeah. Tell me, tell mm -hmm. me. I, it's so fun. It's so interesting to me. I always sort of joke, like as, you know, an Austin girly, I'm wearing my Pride and Prejudice scarf, that I really want to be Elizabeth Bennett. Obviously, we have the same name. I just love her as character. Yeah. I've always loved her. I've always really resonated with her. I actually am much more like Catherine Moreland from Northanger Abbey, who's just kind of a nerd and a little bit of a hopeless romantic. Uh -huh. And she gets herself a little bit too involved in situations and ends up in trouble, but we yeah. love her for it. But, you know, we love Elizabeth. We love how snarky she is, unafraid to stand up for herself and what she believes in and what she wants. Um, I think what this adaptation makes so clear with Noah's character is her faults. And I, I mean that in the best way possible. I think that it makes it clear, more clear, that her meddling in other people's business is problematic and hurtful. I The way that Noah pushes Howie to sleep with someone um, because that's what makes him feel better rather than hearing Howie for what he wants and he needs out of this week and tries to say, well, it works for me, so you should do it, um, gets too involved. I mean, quite literally at certain point pushes him physically at Charlie. Yeah. Um, is And that might in certain cases be taking it a little bit farther than Elizabeth does in the books. Um, you actually see Mrs. Bennett being the one more pushing Jane towards Bingley. Um, so interesting sort of switch flipped there. But mm -hmm. I, I find Noah to appear to me more judgmental more yeah. prejudicial and I, I think he does get called out by that in the bigger fight scene with will um i think part of why maybe it's easier for me to access and realize that in this adaptation is simply because it's more modern language and i think also in 2022 23 now 24 you know people are often much more forthright about what they're thinking and what they're feeling, yeah. but the societal standards in the 1810s are very different. Um, you only see people really say what they mean to one another when they're in the heat of the moment. Um, but it's, you know, there is still a sort of like cagey judginess with uh, yeah. specifically Noah and Will, yeah. but I, I just think that this adaptation really shines more of a spotlight on how just how judgmental Noah Elizabeth Lizzie can be yeah. and how her inter how the interference really hurts other people and puts them in trouble yeah 
and I love that. I yeah. love it. It's I actually, love making you rethink your favorite characters. Even yeah, like Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. God damn it! <laughs> oh. <laughs> I thought you were gonna forget it for like the fourth week in a row. Hey. <laughs> like, hey. I'm gonna need to check is, him. The thing is, it works best when it comes up naturally. And tell me that did not fucking flow perfectly. <laughs> I actually was going to because I was like, that actually is a great point mm. that people didn't like. Yep. I was actually going to, against my will, bring up The Last Jedi. Because that is such a great relevant point to why people don't want to fucking accept Luke Skywalker's because it makes them reconsider that maybe someone can still fall even when they've had their character growth. Yeah, that people maybe can your still fame is problematic, still, and that's yeah. okay. And, that, well, and maybe that 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 burden on your uh, weight on your shoulder is anxiety inducing, mm -hmm. and we yeah. want to ignore that and think it's normal when it's like, no, you can still fail. Yeah, it's gonna happen. And you know, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think Naf, this is obviously your favorite thing, so yeah. I want you to be well, able to talk about it. Particularly, like, I think that, that what made the connection for me was Elizabeth talking not just about that aspect of it, shining a light on their kind of dark, um, like, what's the word, uh, like traits, I suppose, but particularly that Elizabeth mentioned that uh, they wanted to be Elizabeth in the film. They wanted to be Lizzie. And it's like, I feel like that was a connection that a lot of people have to like Luke Skywalker as a character. Like he is an audience insert, you know, he doesn't have a lot going for him because he's just us and we all want to be him. And then when we've been for potentially for some people up to, what is it? Like 30, 35, 40 years going, yes, that's me. And then you see a film where he's flawed sometimes. Um, and again, discuss this with your therapist. Yeah. Not in the comment section on the TikTok video, but sometimes <laughs> we need to recognize that I'm feeling a little hurt by this because it feels like you're telling me that I failed, not the character, because I am him. And that can be really tough for people, you know? Like, it, it can be really tough. It's like it's like when you like something a lot and you show it to someone and they don't like it, and then it's like, oh, am I stupid for liking it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, in it's that like sense... It's like Kate with the Bad Batch. You exactly heard what right. I said. Yeah, yeah. Totally and like, uh, but... But, uh, exactly. Yeah, so I think that's really interesting. And one of the things that I liked about it too is it, it, it I don't know if it's, because I did recognize that. I remember watching Pride and Prejudice and parts of me thinking like, I feel like Lizzie's in the wrong sometimes, but I feel like I gave her a pass a lot of the time. Yeah. And I didn't really like question her on it in the film. I was like, Sister Bennett, it's you, you're the problem. And then I was like, oh no, like this is just like a gross misunderstanding. But it also felt like in um, in Pride and Prejudice, the, particularly the, the one that we watched, the 2005 adaptation, it felt like um, often these characters are having conversations with everyone else about each other and not just communicating to one another and also not talking a lot about their feelings even with the other people. Like, if I recall correctly, like, you've got people, like, this is my best friend or my sister and, like, um, I don't like him. It's stupid. You do. You're lying to yourself and to your, like, best friend and your sister and stuff. And in this film, it feels like there's a lot less of that, like, hiding of that. You've got people coming straight at one another and going, fuck you, do not be like that, you're a bad person. Like, um, And it's been a while mm. since I've seen the Pride and Prejudice film uh, yeah. that we saw as well, so feel free to, to add in any other points there if you guys have seen it. Like, I don't necessarily recall a scene where somebody's sitting with Lizzie and going, like, 
you fucked up here with your friend and like you're not giving your friend what they need and you're actually being kind of an asshole yeah like go and look after your friend well and, and to your point now and i'm gonna bring up this because i think it's perfect to uh tailor or like compare because how i felt about lizzie was very much uh tied into how i felt about bowen yang as jane yeah because the thing about it is 10 out of 10 bowen, notes but bowen was incredible in this yeah. like in, in phenomenal but that but i felt like because typically in like the kira knightley version kira knightley is the soul of that movie yeah that that's what i thought was very interesting because in that one you're like oh my god maybe it's because how they filmed it how they feel this i am so on board with lizzie throughout that entire movie yeah maybe there are things where i'm like okay you kind of jumped the gun on that but as you said now it's like i'll give you the pass yeah but that was because I really didn't give a shit about Rosamund Pike's character in that movie. I was like, ah, okay, cool. It's probably all going to work out for you, but go back to like Matthew McFadden. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, you're kind of more interested in that storyline. With this one, Bowen was the, like, Jane to me was the heart of this film, which allowed Lizzie, it, well, in this case, you know, Noah to be more controversial yeah, because he wasn't having to bear the emotional weight of the audience of connecting because he could be a lot more of that morally gray character. It's similar to in like breaking bad or better call Saul where breaking bad, Jesse Pinkman becomes the audience grounding point of a, the person who actually has their morals on a generally well-rounded basis that understands what they're doing is wrong yeah, and has the natural feelings that would come from doing something wrong, like the guilt, the pain, as we see Walter White dive, dive just completely break bad. You kind of see that with uh, by Jesse allowing him to be that audience kind of viewing into this. It allows Walter White to become more hateable. Yeah. Because you're not being like, oh, my God, I hate everybody now. And why do I watch the show? It's because you are able to then critique that character. It was like Kim kind of filled a similar role in um, Better Call Saul until she had her turn. Yeah. But um, I totally my feeling. But yeah, like my feeling with this one is similar when you're having Bowen do that and really bring out that, you know, the parts of Lizzie because you're actually able to hear because like, and maybe it was just the ace portion that I really resonated with that I was like Lizzie just because you want to go and fuck everybody doesn't mean that he wants to and that was like the that was the first time I was able to really add that undertone to it because it's mentioned in like you know Pride and Prejudice but because everything is kind of higher class and a little bit more romantic i think it reads less as you and know, also with regency england you can't talk about sex exactly you can't do that yeah and you can't <laughs> you can't identify the difference there like you know it's kind yeah. of and also you have a lot of more of the political angle as well like mm -hmm. to consider in that one there this it felt like the core aspects of that really fell into place and i think that that's why you're able to have a different Lizzie because you have a different Jane. Yeah. And that's mm. like a thing there that allows when, when it gets to the point of Jane getting, you know, 
you know, like the whole I I want somebody to come and stop me, you know, on the trip. Like that's why that scene resonates a hell lot more than in Pride and Prejudice uh, when you know she gets proposed to. Yeah, like right. to. To me, I think that that's why, and also it's hilarious to have the scene where it's like, I love you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, back it up. <laughs> oh, that no. was one of the best lines oh, in the whole it. thing. It was just such a funny, yeah. but that's just my opinion. But one, of, but one of the things we haven't really talked about that I that I know, Elizabeth, you really want to bring up, and I think that we all are very interested in talking about, is uh, talking about the Mr. Darcy of this, of this. <sighs> and what was actually one of the one of the best ways that autism has ever been portrayed casually in a character. And I think really getting to the core of this, but Elizabeth, you really wanted to bring that up and really want to talk about that there. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm trying to like go back to my notebook. I mean, I think generally uh, Mr. Darcy as a character from Pride and Prejudice and in every adaptation ever is always going to feel very autistic. And that, if it doesn't, there's something's a lot wrong. there. Yeah. Yeah. Like if he's too smooth, he's not Darcy. Yeah. Um, the point is that you know, he doesn't he, understand. There's all, there's ever so many quotes from, from the source material about how he is aloof and he doesn't like to dance with people that he doesn't know. He has a hard time making acquaintances, but once you get to know him, you know, he's a very generous and giving and loving person. Everything but everyone has you just ever have said to... about me. <laughs> and, so, oh, and, so... then, and then there was a diagnosis last year and I was like, oh, but yeah, yeah that's yeah, there it is. Wait to um, call you Mr. Darcy. Hey. But I mean, you are. I. Handcore now. Handcore. I'll I'm sit saying. here with my hot will chocolate you, and let you two flirt for a minute. Will you be my Lizzie? I hey, mean, listen. look, hey, like, literally, look at the shirt. Look at our shirts. If you, hey, this is another reason that I'm in love with my co host. I love you both so much. Yeah. You're so this chaotic. Is, and I'm here for relation, it. This is the relationship everybody aspires to. This is what everyone signed up for. You know, you knew you were getting into it. You knew. Um, but I was, I, you know, I'm aware. Um, <laughs> was, um, I'm trying to find my specific notes. Like, well, oh, uh, I've got, I've got a point I want to touch specific, on. Yeah, look up that. I was about to note. say, no, Nap. I wanted to. I wanted to hear yours while yeah. Elizabeth looks up her notes. I, I wondered if you felt anything with that. Mine's a separate from that because I want to come back to it when when Elizabeth gets her note. But I wondered your thoughts on a particular character trait. Noah, which is his distaste for monogamy, and um, yeah, particularly polyamory, bitch. Polyamory is the answer. I have a note here: monogamy industrial complex. <laughs> that is one of the best Just, lines I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved uh, how he referred back to that a lot of the time. And my favorite thing about that, because as it started, I was like, "Awesome, same." And by the end, when he starts kind of like giving Will all the reasons why. You know, couldn't work. I don't really like, uh, blah, and then Will's just like, I don't really know if I believe in monogamy as a concept. I was like, yes! Yeah! <laughs> I was like, oh my god! And I wondered if you had that same kind of reaction when that moment at the end, it's it's a little, it's it's one of those, um, uh, it's like a Chekhov's gun through the whole film and it fired right at the end. I was like, good job. That was, that was my, my feeling as well, where it was, uh, obviously you and I are, are polyamorous and, uh, things there. And 
my favorite thing about that is uh, within the, the in general the uh you know the gay community that that is a it's a lot more popular to yeah. understand them i think just in general in general yeah yeah exactly like within and that idea because i think it's also because i think so much of gay culture like uh, ali and i talk about this all the time where we talk about that like but in in all these circles you have to have so much more communication and because of that stuff like polyamory is a lot more effective because you have very clear-cut communication you have to or else it won't survive and what i think is very interesting is pairing that up in a movie where communication is you know not as forthright i think it's a very interesting thing i think it's a very interesting way there but i'm really glad that polyamory was never demonized yeah in this mm. and that it was again similar to the aceness both of those concepts were never the problem. It was always the people involved yeah. that kind of had their own issues. And I really appreciate that the film went out of its way not to demonize certain behaviors because mm-hmm. I feel like often we demonize what we don't understand. And I like that this film clearly understands these things. Yeah. But, uh, like, but I find that things I'm, like that. I'm reaching or I'm kind of seeking a piece of media that like represents characters like that a little more like i i haven't seen much on on it and so if anybody does have recommendations on like either series or film that like talk about ooh, characters that are whether they're in the queer community or not but like polyamory is like i feel like man it feels so rich for content like talk about hmm. like, like deep character development and conversations that come up there it just feels like, like important and i have not seen much that, that kind of touches on that but um, how did you go finding your notes there, Liz? Yeah, so I have just like a couple of thoughts before I get into Please. my big thing. I do have a note specifically what we're talking about communication and the like how essential communication is, and obviously, and um, the the specific note I have is about the moment where Noah's phone goes in the pool and the the just inherent communication breakdown that happens in that exact moment and the way that that influences like that's just such a small plot point that influences literally everything else happening exactly the way it has to especially to connect it to the source material um being uh how he never comes home so noah has to go find him go to the house going to the going to to right. uh to netherfield yeah to to retrieve the the, the sick the sick sibling yeah. um that's one um the letter yes i can't yes. text the you letter while writing the a letter just... yeah that was a big one um people getting lost leading to you know leaving miscommunication i just i think that was such a like just a small lovely little storytelling bit that I think that if you hadn't done that and Noah had a phone, it would have been a massive plot hole. Yeah. Well, but just yeah. that one little thing. Oh, well, don't and, have a phone. And, 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 it, and if I may, Elizabeth, before, before like just a quick little answer yeah. with that, like it's so funny because so many horror movie directors will talk about that now where they're like, you cannot place a horror movie in 20 in the 2020s because everybody has a phone yeah. and a lot of this shit would just be solved by, Oh shit. Uh, let me come and pick you up. You know? And it's very interesting yeah. that this film kind of proves that if you do it in a clever way, yeah, you can have it be a relatable thing that happens. And solution 
it, it makes it, it work so well. well. But yes, continue. Like, or nap if well. you have a point. Yeah, no, just because the other part was you've got Noah who's broke and can't afford a new phone, <laughs> and that's why he's going in the pool is like starts everything. But it's like if you use that plot point in a film set in 2024 now with like you know normal um like people to just have current phones the same thing will happen that happens with uh, i forget his name but the guy in the pool later which and then jacks at the and, end yeah and will's literally like so you know i, I think it's uh, another waterproof yeah, now will says it's noah like you know they're just like waterproof yeah like that didn't do anything he's like ah let me have my mind. like that's probably what would happen it'd be like hey, let's, I, let's I, I was the thinking pool. the exact same thing i yeah. love it so you have it's someone just, on TikTok it's going. Little, it's the little things. Yeah, like you will have someone on there going. Um, actually, they dropped his like Samsung Galaxy S twenty four in the pool, and that's actually an IP uh, IP sixty eight for dust and water resistance, which means it can be underwater for uh, thirty minutes. Okay, can minutes. you tell like, that? Just, can you tell that he works at a, a like goddamn like a Veri- a Australian hole. Verizon? That is a plot. <laughs> I love same. it. Same. I mean, would it have been slightly more dramatic if he'd like broken it in half? Maybe. Oh, yeah. But have I, I love big, that little, but muscles. I love the callback. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I love that it's a callback to the beginning of the phone, the, right. at the beginning of the film, the throwing the phone in the Oh, pool. for sure. But I think also on the topic of communication and on the topic of autism, Darcy exists, will exist. Yes. And do I think that either Conrad Ricamora or Joel Kim Booster, any of the people were specifically trying to play this character as autistic? Not necessarily. Do I think it came off that way? Absolutely. Because my roommate and I, both of us are autistic and we're like autism. Yeah. Hands down. Um, And I know my roommate's going to be talking about that in in their work. Um, But I mean, this is someone they 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 come at each other on the street after something being awkward. And he throws his little ice cream cone and just makes a run for it. It's so funny, baby. I love I love I love him. I, I love this. Before. I love how Conrad does this. I'm a That's little bummed. Right. I went to I've I've seen Conrad perform like or speak at a thing. I've actually met him. Um, he's oh, lovely shit. and very tall. Yeah, I live in New York. It shit just happens. But I went to go see As a show do. that he was in, but he was out that night, which is a bummer because he's supposed to be amazing. Um, but I just think I love watching his progression throughout the film. Um, and I mean, generally with any of the like Mr. Darcy characters that, you know, start off very reserved, not smiling, Mr. Grumpy Pants. I don't talk to people. I'm awkward. I say mean, awkward things. And then watching them, you know, get more comfortable, people open up, watching him crack a smile, getting to the dance off scene. I just, I I love the progression. I, one of the things that my roommate brought up that I thought was really interesting when we were rewatching the film last night is specifically in the, um, ooh, my camera's doing something funky on my end. Um, Sorry, that's my bad. I accidentally pressed the button. In the, no, you're right on in 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 the the love confession scene uh, the the rain scene whatever you want to call it um when noah calls will out for saying something nasty which i think in this particular um adaptation is uh let me see the exact note um he's not hot enough to be that annoying Mm. which uh did i tab the original page Yes, I absolutely did. Um, 
She is tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me, and I am in no humor at present to give consequence to young ladies who are slighted by other men. (sighs) I I love the level of depth that you've gone into for this. I I want to add that. Oh, I could have quoted that without the book. I just wanted to look smart. Oh, I know. (laughs) I was just waiting for you to pick it up and put on the glasses and go, hmm, let me just look at this. I have my contacts in. Um, I do also have the, it's actually one of like exactly where my, I mean, it's pretty much exactly in the middle, but the exact page of my book naturally falls open to yeah. is the, um, in vain I have struggled that will not do scene, which we'll get to. Oh, beautiful. Um, but what was interestingly pointed out to me is that when Will, uh, when Noah calls out Will for saying, you know, he's not hot enough to be that annoying, that, Will's first response is, did Charlie tell you? It's it's the assessment of how did you hear that? Yeah. Like, give me the information rather than, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I would probably also question like, where did you, like, how do you know that kind of thing? Yeah, you're less but, questioning how did I say it? You're questioning where did the information come from that you now know you this? That? Yeah, or like, or just immediate, like, it's it, it's 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 an information gathering rather than going to like accusatory or self-defensive or going on the offense and being like well you but yeah i i don't i just think that the, the darcy as a character is inherently autistic coded or inherently yeah, autistic yeah, well, and and i think bringing it into this adaptation it just worked so successfully, regardless of whether that was what they were trying to do or not. I wish I had watched the director's commentary, but I ran out of time. Um, if I ever meet Conrad Rickamora again, I will ask him. I promise. Oh, yeah. Well, my 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 thing with that, one of the scenes that stuck out to me, in, uh, and I'm curious, Naf, if you had any scenes that really stuck out to you, but one of the ones uh, was with specifically with regards to the autistically coded. And I think it's just neurodivergent coded in general, this scene was the moment where the it's the reading scene where he where they ask about oh i like i was just trying to start a co- like conversation and i forget exactly what he's saying and then he just stops everything and it's track and it's like what's your favorite story and i'm like that is such a that neurodivergent thing. shit to say where it's like it's a deep question that catches you off guard yeah. with how you've never been asked a question like that in your life and it's like it's, it's like, a moment it's, of it's such a logical question. Like it feels like it makes sense. But it's like it's a, it's a question that any yeah. one of us any one of us would ask. Absolutely. Well, and then my favorite part about it is because I felt this in the Matthew McFadden version as well was when he follows up on it, where like she talks about it, and it's kind of like when we have our like Star Wars discussions or anything, where it's like, but don't you think about this? And it's like, and then the person being like, well, I didn't want to have an argument about this. I'm like, it's not an argument i thought we were just having a conversation yeah like it's it's that and i'm like that, that line is, made me feel things that is that is I've just had that i've had same. people say that to me yeah. that's the same thing i'm like i'm not arguing just, with you i'm asking uh, i thought that i'm having fun aren't you having fun we're like, debating like you can just debate things yeah and like, it's I not like an argument debate. because an argument implies like that you're angry at each other whereas like a debate is just like holding two sides of an opinion and yeah. talking about them 
I also think that um, very particularly at the beginning of the scene where Noah is trying to engage Will to like engage in conversation in the back and forth style is um, a very particular reference to the um, when they dance together at the Netherfield Ball Mm -hmm. in the original novel. Um, yeah. which from the 2005 is the moment where they're dancing and everybody else disappears. Mm-hmm. But they have that exact interaction that Lizzie is trying to engage Darcy in conversation. And he's like, nope, I'm just going to not talk to people, which uh-huh. is so relatable. And I'm going to try to find out where it is um, because I feel like it's just so great well and in um, in the meantime naf did you have something that you wanted to say on that topic as well you know i think that like those uh, you have covered a lot of those moments really well actually because yeah there's all these little things that happen the only thing that i'll add to it is that yeah like um recently having gone through like my process of diagnosis it's so shocking to me sometimes now watching films and recognizing that in people like being like oh, I've, I've felt like this person before i don't quite know why Maybe it's an aspect of them that I don't like or think something like that, but it happens a lot more. And there's so many times now I'm like, oh, that's, that's that person. And then also it makes me a little more frustrated sometimes because often it's a character that people are just kind of like, who that person's like really weird. And when they're not around, they're like, you guys know how weird that person is. And I was like, that's, that's probably an experience. That I think a lot of neurodivergent people like share um, is that you know, isolation from people. Well, they're all kind of uh, conscious of that. That's why, we have nice, yeah. uh, safe neurodivergent spaces like one with the films. We hang out and just. Yes. <laughs> but you found your. Yes, space. this is where the neuro spaces come to came out, by the way. Yes, let them. Tell us. Tell us. Can, can, we, can we put that on our okay. social medias where the neuro spices go to cook? Like, yes. is <laughs> like. Yes. Um. Yeah. Tell us everything. And also, it. what is your favorite story? So. <laughs> I. So, so this is the situation. They've been sort of talked into dancing together by somebody else, and it was it's a it's a wonky situation. But um, they stood for some time without speaking a word, and she began to imagine that their silence was to last through the two dances, and at first was resolved not to break it. Um, that that it was be it would be the greater punishment to her partner to oblige him to talk. She made some slight observation for the dance. So she thinks it would be mean to make him talk to me. So I'm going to engage him in conversation, even though I don't want to. Uh, he replied and then was silent. After a pause she had, of some minutes, she addressed him a second time. It is your turn to say something now, Mr. Darcy. I talked about the <laughs> dance and you ought to make some kind of remark on the size of the room or the number of couples. And he smiled and assured her that whatever she wished him to say should be said. Um, and he asks, do you talk by rule then when you are dancing? Uh, sometimes one must speak a little bit. No, it would look odd to be entirely silent for half an hour together. Um, the conversation ought to be so arranged as that they they may have the trouble of saying as little as possible. So they're dancing and he's just like, I just don't want to talk. I don't talk to people. Um, I- yeah. yeah. I don't even like, have words. Such- I'm just like. It speaks for itself. Yeah, it's like all of those things and they've been able the, to take I out. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the, all those bits <laughs> they've been able to put together and take from the story and, and build into it. It just goes through a lot of care and love went into like the adaptation, which I think is really beautiful. Um, yeah. I just, I love it. Well, I that's, love that's the care. As you should. You should love this. This is something that everyone should love. And I think also like 
everyone should watch too like it's a pretty easy recommendation because as we said early on yeah, like how it represents like gay culture and stuff too isn't in a way that like is in any way going straight people can't it's watch this pandering. you know yeah it's 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 in oh. neither camp it's not going like this is better than that or like this is it's <laughs> honestly it's a bit of a teaching piece of media for people i believe uh, which, which i think is really cool. it taught me yeah if it was a little bit more pg-13 rated i'd almost consider asking my parents to watch it but i I thought you were, were going to be like, I, I, couple of those asking, I was expecting that conversation to go, if it was a little more PG-13, I would uh, consider asking my little brother or my little sister to watch it. But the fact that you said parents, just like, huh? Yeah, yeah. you threw an app for a loop there. For a my sister, I don't think, would, would, would enjoy it so much. But yeah. no, I think it's just, it speaks... I think that, you know, Will Darcy, also the name Will comes from the fact that the, and his name is Fitzwilliam Darcy. Um, I've seen modern adaptation call him William Darcy um, because Fitzwilliam is a name. Fitzwilliam oh, sounds yeah. like a great name for a gay guy, though. That is true. It kind of does. You're kind of right. That's a username, but it's like fit. That's that's one of those like, ones just... where you would go on a Reddit thread and underneath it would be like username checks out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. so it doesn't fit me, but it fits William. Hey, <laughs> sorry. I do think also, uh, you know, there's just the certain moments like of his physicality mm. um, that read is very neurodivergent, very autistic to me. Um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the throwing the ice cream cone and making a run yep. for it, and then of course ending up in like the exact worst situation, worst okay. situation, okay. and being pushed into this dance off. But I do also appreciate that he's like, you know what? Okay, yeah, I will get up there and make an absolute ass of myself and be an awkward dancer. Which same. Oh yeah. Same. Well, I mean, uh- and, you um, know, you bring up. Oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Elizabeth. No, go ahead. Just I, the, the the physicality of it, and go, also going to the beach alone at sunrise to write a letter to somebody. Just uh, like the drama. Yeah. The drama. Yeah. Queen for sure. Oh yeah. Well, well, and as and as you're saying, like one of the things that I've always heard about Pride and Prejudice, whatever adaptation, um, and even I believe Jane Austen had said something akin to this when she wrote it when people would ask her about like who'd you base mr darcy on or things like that um i believe she said something i could be wrong about this but uh i believe she said something akin to uh there is no mr darcy because mr darcy can never exist um it's something akin to that of being like this like the ultimate this is a man written by a woman character like kind of kind of creating yes. this thing yes he and but the thing the the thing about it is what I love about this adaptation, and the more we come to understand this stuff, a lot of Mr. Darcy's exist in my experience. Like that, a lot of Mr. Darcy's do exist. They just tend to exist in queer and neurodivergent spaces, spaces that at the time of Jane Austen's writing didn't exist. Yeah, like there was that they it was just oh you're quirky, yeah, like you know and things there, and it's <laughs> like. Sorry, sorry. Do you know what I mean? That like, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, no. Go ahead, Naf. Like, like that's that. That was kind of like. I just think it's really interesting that we have evolved a society that I think that we're allowing more and more Mister Darcy's to exist. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. And I think, um, like, I'll make this point, and then we'll kind of like wrap around and start wrapping up a little bit too. But I, I was thinking on that uh, because it was a conversation I was having like yesterday about you know, uh, like with with um. Uh, with a friend uh, that was actually a little bit older as well. So I'm sitting here and I'm explaining some of the differences around 
lot of people are being diagnosed with ADHD now. A lot of people are coming out as trans or queer or bi or poly or all of these kinds of things that just seem like it's everywhere right now. And it's uh, like one of the big things that we need to do is, is recognize that the social, um, like how different society is now and, and how often, and again, what the experience that a lot of people go through uh, when they go through an ADHD or an autism diagnosis is the process of like unmasking and actually think like, okay, who actually am I? Because all I've done every mm -hmm. time I've tried to exert my personality to someone throughout my whole life, it's been shut down. And so I've hidden that part off. So as I kind of reconnect with that, who am I going to become? And I think that that goes to show that back in the day when Jane Austen wrote it, that, yeah, this is a thing that is a potential that could be, but it doesn't exist. That makes sense. Because for the people that were even trans or queer or um, any kind of neurodivergent back then, whatever aspect of that, that would have been beaten out of them, uh, either socially or potentially physically. So they'd be masking that. So it makes so much sense that in mm -hmm. her experience that she wouldn't come across that. Yeah, but like on... Yeah. And it just comes across as being standoffish yeah. or prideful exactly. or whatever. Yeah. When it's not understood. Um, hmm. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I wondered just before we do uh, like start wrapping up too, like, do either of you have any sort of like final points that you want to make sure we touch on that the listeners get before we, uh, we, we wrap up? Um, I, I guess I want Elizabeth to have the final word yeah. here. So I guess I'll just go briefly it's in mind. Movie, maybe. Um, uh, of like the, the only brief thing that I have wrapping up is that there's a, uh, a that this movie continues to prove why Jane Austen is relevant mm -hmm. and how ahead of our time she was because the fact that we can still pull these themes out of a very authentic representation we're not grasping for straws here this was a loving adaptation of her work yeah and I think that that just shows very. you how timeless these stories can be if understood and so that that's just my two cents and i thought it was brilliant uh elizabeth yeah i mean i have a lot of thoughts all the time i'm gonna have to do a second episode i, think, <laughs> I know honestly i think the one other thing that i want to like very briefly um mention that has always uh, been important to me is the the concept of the the crisis with the Lydia character who in this mm -hmm. case is Luke and Dex um and I just I'm generally enjoying how they've adapted um the the story of uh what does it mean you know how people are taken advantage of in this situation and turning those characters um into their you know, more modern counterparts. So I've seen other adaptations that have done this in a similar way where it's essentially like an online sex scandal that someone doesn't know that their um, sensitive moments are being exposed mm -hmm. online. Um, and I love, I mean, I just generally love the moment where Darcy's like, I'm going to kill him. Um, I do oh, think they yeah. took some liberties in this mo in this. And I do think it, one of the things that I just didn't love is that it was a little short. Um, whereas I think yeah, it was a, it a bigger crisis. And also Lizzie, uh, Noah and Will working together rather than in the original novel, it's just Darcy who does it. And Lizzie doesn't know about it till much later. Um, but I think the other thing that's a really important departure, especially in the 21st century, is um, that the victim doesn't get stuck with their abuser. 
mm-hmm. and that Luke is still free from Dex after rather than, you know, Lydia gets married to Wickham yeah. and is essentially stuck with him and his awful, awful ways. Um, and I, 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 I just didn't, I didn't think the stakes were high enough and I thought it was dealt with all a little bit too. I like the way they adapted. I just thought it was done a little bit too hastily and I thought it could have used five minutes more screen time to really assess the actual implications of, um, of uh, revenge porn essentially is what it is um, in the modern era and and the, the, the consequences of it. Yeah. It's interesting, as you mentioned it, because it wasn't something that I really thought about too much until you've mentioned it. And I'm like, yeah, no, you are right. And even then thinking about how that story kind of wraps up too, he, like, gives the story back to Luke, isn't it? And he's yeah, Luke. like, yeah, and I did this. And, I, and it almost kind of, like, plays it off as a joke. And it's, like, it is a very serious, very serious thing. Like, that could literally ruin someone's life. That could, like, lose their jobs. And, and it's just seen as more, like, embarrassing. Yeah. Rather yeah. than, like actually dangerous yeah it maybe could talk to potentially um, like uh like an aspect of like the culture that like i don't know like maybe is, does does that happen a lot and they're used to it is this, has it happened to him in the past like, i don't know i don't know at all or like just yeah trying to figure it out but i think you are right i think that that, that storyline itself could have used a bit more time because it is a bit of like build up to it and then it does kind of die off and you're like oh okay that's just sorted i think also one of the more important um, parts of Darcy's involvement in this, in the original source material, is that Wickham tried to do the same thing to his sister, to Darcy's sister. And we don't, I don't think we get enough information about why Darcy cares so much. Like, obviously, you see Dex, you know, on social media using, um, you know, crisis issues to um, post his nudes, which is. Ugh, awful beyond tacky that's not even the right word for it but just disgusting um but you know to the point of who is it in his life that this impacted darcy so heavily or impacted will so heavily um i think i needed more um i i needed to know more why that mattered to him yeah. And that sure. that didn't totally work. I think that the the context that they reassembled it to totally worked. I it just it it, it all just wrapped up too neatly for me. No, I totally get it. Too quickly. I think you're you're uh, very valid in that. And I didn't actually look into it too much more, but I did see some articles about how Joel Kim Booster was saying that there's a, a bunch of scenes that were cut from the film that he hated cutting. And I'm not sure if maybe mm. they elaborated on that a little bit but I, maybe i'm gonna have cut, to go look into it or maybe even um like yeah i guess the holy release we're not gonna be physical media for it I have like a bunch of but probably with the commentary, or, or commentary they would probably go into that yeah exactly I'm probably gonna watch that while i'm sewing tomorrow <laughs> hey gotta do it yeah um so it could but be there speaking of that yeah um so sorry yes because yeah, it could be there um yeah that, that'd be really interesting if that's if that's where it it say that there were some key moments. I think yeah. the ending was actually different originally. They went with, but I was thinking that they did say that it was you know like a quibby thing originally, and maybe if it was a mm. series because it was I think originally conceived as a series. The title for it was it had a different name. I think it was called like just Trip or something like that, and then they changed it. Fire Island. 
Yeah, that works a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because Fire Island also gives you a little bit of the, if you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that was just one, one of my, one of my, one of my only real, like, qualms, I guess, with the film. I I will say, um, I know we'll talk more about, you know, recommendations for connected media, but there was a, and about series, there was a web series done in 2012, 13, 14. I don't know. I was in high school. Um, called the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. Mm. It's a modern web series adaptation. It's about a hundred episodes. It ended up uh, creating a whole spinoff. It was actually one of those sort of executive producers in the company was Hank Green. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. shit. Um, yeah, there was a whole thing and it was really well done. It was about a hundred episodes, anywhere Damn. three to 10 minutes modernizing it. And, you know, it was vlog format. So Lizzie is vlogging about her life cool. um, for like a thesis master's program. Yeah. And they utilized a similar format that Lydia had got involved with Wickham, who um, took a video of them having yeah. sex and threatened to release it online because um she had created her own vlog in like addition to lizzie's because yeah. she was feeling left out or something um and but i think you see in that adaptation so much more of the actual impact that it has on lydia yeah. um and i wrote an entire paper about how it turned lydia into the heroine that she ought to have been um mm. but y- you see her break and start to build back up yeah. Whereas I don't think that Luke, I don't actually see him really being impacted by it yeah. other than being embarrassed for a couple of days. And I think that that doesn't work. And especially with the context of the original source material well, it, it, being that Lydia is married to her abuser and to someone who oh, took yeah. advantage of her. And she has no idea. I think it's tough is that kid, those characters were also very much comedic relief. And it's oh, tough because yeah. I feel like sometimes that's, that's a, an opportunity for you to be able to go and take a moment to be, yeah, to, to flesh it out. And if anything, it happening to the comedic relief is actually a lot more impactful because you mm-hmm. can actually turn it into a serious moment. And it's like, yeah, everybody laughs me off, but that fucking hurt. And I think that that's, yeah. that's an interesting thing, but nonetheless, as we wrap up, uh, Naf, what are some of your final thoughts on the movie? I loved it. It was heaps of fun. I think on Letterboxd, what did I do? I gave it a four four stars, I think. I gave. Yeah, that's about what I was thinking, too. I went up a bump. And uh, I picked a different poster for it as well, because that's fun, and that's like my thing. Um, yeah, but I just think it, it it was really nice seeing a fun movie about, you know, like non-heteronormative or heterosexual people uh, that isn't uh, ending in tragedy. Like, it just... Yeah. I think that was something... It was a conversation I had with someone earlier this year where... <laughs> I was talking about the film Red, White, and Royal Blue, um, which I personally didn't really like too much. I did, like, I, I, I wanted to, and I went into it, and there were aspects I enjoyed, but in the end, I was like, I see what you're going for. It's not for me. And I remember talking to them about yeah. it, and, and he was, like, um, telling me a bit of why he loved it so much. He was like, I was like, I don't know. It just he was cheesy and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, we need that. We don't have that. Like, the straight people have so much of that, and nobody ever says anything about it. And this, and I was like, shit. You are you are right. You are absolutely right, and it kind of gave me a new appreciation for it a little bit more. I was able to see it through a bit of a different light. But like, I don't know what I was trying to get out of it originally. I was watching it, and I was like, a bi guy and a gay guy, and I'm like, I don't know. Like, 
let me see. And I just remember being like, yeah, it almost felt a little, uh, what's the word? Um, like, yeah, I don't really know, but it just felt like there wasn't enough of anything there. And every time I'm looking at the characters, I'm like, I want more like passion from you. I don't know. I can't, I can't explain it, but, um, yeah, it's like, uh, you're getting more stories like this, more rom-coms, more stories that just exist as they are. And it's just making things normal, which I think is really beautiful. So, um, yeah. That's that's my point. We need more stories like this. You can just go into and watch that isn't pandering. It's just existing as it is because these are the kind of stories have. That's really. I agree, Nath. That's a that's a great way of putting it. And as I said, I love it. I love it. I love it. I think it's a great film. As you said, it's all the representation one, and that's it. Make it gay, and uh, life is good, but it can be gayer. And uh, and so uh, there we are. What about from uh, yourself, Elizabeth? Just any final note on that? I think it's it's about gay joy, and especially God as opposed damn, to, to, to gay trauma. It. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, that's exactly it, it. It's 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 being joyful and and, and that being exists. gay, and one is gay, yeah. and. In, in in certain way, in, in spite of I don't want to say in spite of being gay, but in spite of the way that the world treats a person for being gay, um, and I think it uh, perfectly balances like honoring what has been and why why Fire Island is important, yeah. and also just like just queer joyful existence. And I just I think it's so well done, and also beautifully engages one of my favorite pieces of media of all time. Yeah, that's it, it's Perfect. like this was made for you. It's and I love when stuff it like that happens. Like things come out. I, and love, I remember having the conversation last yeah. year because a lot of the films that came out we've like kind of uh, lovingly dubbed as like NAF porn. I was like, I don't know what it was about 2023. That was my year in movies. Everything that came out, I was like, y'all better stop. I love it for you. Y'all better stop. Hey, 2022, 2022 was my year, so yeah, I'm fine yeah. with this. Um, like, uh, I don't know um, what my year was. Maybe it'll be 2024. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, well, like, me, I don't even know. That was pretty good. My 2016 was also pretty much there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah. guys, uh, tell us what you thought in the comments. Tell us on online. Tell us what you think of this movie. It's incredible. Definitely check it out if you haven't. Uh, and now we're going to move on to one of our new favorite segments, uh, Cinema a la carte. So dish it up, and we're going to get a little bit of some entrees, some appetizers in films. That we try to treat this as a little bit like a wine pairing. Consider us your cinema sommeliers. We are here to make sure that you have just the perfect pairing of films that you may have yeah. not thought of that do go with this film. We try to go for something that might be a little bit on the safer side and then something that's a little bit more out there. Uh, so we try to have a little bit of that and we try to go with that. Uh, and Nath, I see that you have some particularly interesting ones up there. Why yeah. don't you kick us off, bud? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I really like my choices a lot. Uh, the first one is Perks of Being a Wallflower. I think the uh, concept of like a found family a little bit, I really liked. It was more in the feeling than the actual story itself. I was just like, these are just people that connect mm -hmm. and they, yeah, they just, yeah, I thought that aspect a lot. Um, and I also just love that movie a lot. And coming it's a great movie. Is, I've read the book on that too. Uh, like, so that was one of the ones that I dove into like crazy. That, that's one of my choices. 
The other one, I think, if you're looking for particularly what Elizabeth was talking about, which is like this kind of uh, like gay joy, like it's people that are just unapologetically, you know, uh, okay with the word, like not not embarrassed by showing love to your fellow man, you know, like I guess gay or otherwise. Mm. But in this case, quite gay. If you want cinema that exemplifies gay joy, you want to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> you are right so proud of that one, aren't you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> no. Uh, so, I mean, honestly, tell me I'm wrong, right? But the no, actual you're not. Well, That's the you're issue. Right, and you should say it. The actual second you're right. film I picked. Say it louder. Is, um, <laughs> the actual second film I picked was a an actually another romantic comedy uh, that is about two men. <clears throat> It came out in the early 2000s. Uh, it's not necessarily a uh, like a, a gay rom-com about two men, but you could argue you could argue a point if you wanted to, and that's uh, I Love You Man, which stars Paul Rudd and Jason Segel, which is one of, if not my favorite, like rom-com of all time. I think it's just like you take these tropes <laughs> that generally apply to like you know heteronormative relationships or just those kind of movies, and you apply it to best friends. And it just works. It just works. And it also has genuinely, I saw that movie when I was in my like early teens, that has framed a lot of how like my relationships with like my male friends are. I'm like, you know what? If people aren't questioning us, then I, I don't want it. There's I a want, problem. I want to know that I don't give a shit that the, the, whoever it is that's around, whatever gender, I'm going to love them the same way I love everyone. So uh, I'm going to show love like that and i want to be able to like hug my friends and all of this kind of stuff so like i love that movie a lot and i think that yeah it does take some of the things that are intrinsic to like gay culture and maybe people won't be as scared about watching that film watching fire island and i had a good time does that mean i'm gay you're not going to get that with i love you man that that can be your um your gateway drug you know bit of i love you man and if you can handle it a bit of the removal of a bit of toxic masculinity, then you will love Fire Island. And then after that, you'll probably be. That's correct. That um, is absolutely correct. Yeah. Uh, and what about you, Kay? Like, what are your choices? What would you pair with this film? Huh. Someone who wants to know how to feel or something that feels similar or something to watch maybe after? Absolutely. So I have, uh, so on a standpoint of rom-coms, uh, I have... For myself, I, I love my favorite rom-com of all time is When Harry Met Sally. Uh, it, it's a classic. The, the, the I know we got to watch it for like Valentine's Day or something. Uh, I actually but think I've never the, seen my, it either. It's, it's such a beautiful out. movie. It, it, yep. And so like the thing is that what I love about that movie is it's, it's kind of an enemies to lovers kind of thing there, but it also is about male and female friendship as much as it is about love and talking about how it's where kind of the classic adage of men and women can't be friends kind of comes from, even though I think that's dated. I think that there is a lot of validity to the talks that they have and the various beautiful things that they discuss um, to it. But the thing that I was thinking about when it comes to adaptations that I thought are like really great modern adaptations of media, uh, one of the instant ones I thought of was Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Um, I thought that this one, when you come to like what we were talking about this movie, 
of finding something in the subject in the source material that really resonates with now. Mm. Little Women took a story that I hadn't really had as much vested interest in. And then watching it, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. They were writing about this back in the 1800s. Like, it's that moment that it makes you think about how relevant. Well, exactly. Like, it's, you know, uh, it's just all this stuff there of people that really just know. And it really makes you respect what is done and, and people like really considering all of that. And I thought that that was just a very beautiful, beautiful thing that I really enjoyed getting a chance to, you know, really sink, you know, sink my teeth into. And then I had a third one that I didn't write down and I'm really upset that it's now slipping my mind. Um, but, uh, feel free to shout it out. Like, absolutely. um, Obviously Elizabeth, this was a film that you brought to us. Yeah. And it's taught us a lot about you. Thank you so much. But I wonder, yeah, like what else would you share with people who are listening that love your vibe, love the style of film that you've brought to us? I guess, where would you send them next? I remembered it. I remembered it. Hold on. I'm sorry. It's going to slip. It's going to slip. Go, go, go. Uh, if you want something that goes for the more sensual aspect of love and you want to do something there that's still a part of gay culture that is less on the necessarily fully happy side of things, but it is beautiful and is one of the best pieces of film I've seen in a very long time. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is a phenomenal, heartbreakingly sensual movie. You got to go and see it. Incredible. We'll probably do another episode of it on here because it is quintessential gay cinema. Uh, anyway, Elizabeth, take it away. All right. If if you're like me and you like either classics or gay stuff or both, I have some options. <laughs> so yes. hard to find good. Overlap. Like so um, the first thing that came to mind is I, I do love Lizzie Bennett Diaries as an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. It's a little bit of a different kind of commitment with, you know, 100 mini episodes, but it's great. And it has a lot of tangential material. And that company did a lot of other really wonderful spinoffs uh-huh. um, of other classic literature. Um, but Lizzie Bennett's kind of the best one they ever did. Um, I also, you know, we talked a bit about Shakespeare. Um, and one of my favorites is Much Ado About Nothing. And there's two different adaptations that I would recommend, which are both very different. Um, they both use the original text, but they're stylistically very different. There's the 1990s Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson, which is just... Mm-hmm. Phenomenal casting all around. Um, and uh, I am suggesting this because I like it as cinema and not because I have any endorsement of its director. But 2012, it was directed by Joss Whedon. We don't like very much, but a phenomenal ensemble cast. It was shot in black and white, just like at Joss Whedon's house. He just got a bunch of actors together and had them do Shakespeare together. And it's great. Um, so I really recommend that film yeah. I, it's it's great if you've watched weed and projects before you'll recognize a lot of the, the performers in it mm-hmm. um and then the other thing that i was thinking about like particularly for like queer stuff i'm like looking at my bookshelf over here <laughs> but the thing that i was thinking about you mentioned red white and royal blue um which i enjoyed the movie i also liked the book a lot but casey mcquiston who's the author they wrote another really great lesbian book called one last stop it's set in new york city it's a little bit mystical magical um i really enjoyed that book yeah uh so if you like the vibes of any of those things that is where i would steer you um 
Also, just the 1995 Pride and Prejudice mm. is exceptional, especially if you're a costume nerd like me. Um, mm. The costumes from that film are absolutely impeccable in terms of their historical accuracy. Yeah. Um, 90, 2005 is great as like a modern, yeah. essentially a lo- looking at it from the sense of modern romantic sensibilities. I think 95 just is more true to the book for me. Um, I mm. love you most ardently just does not hit the same as, and yes, I can go with stuff top of my head. In vain, I have struggled. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. Damn. God damn. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's and good. That's why women swoon. That is correct. Absolutely. Well, now I'll tell you this. Like, all right, guys, that'll do it for us here. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of One But The Films. And obviously, you can find us on every social media platform as well as podcasting platform. Yeah. Just type in One But The Films. Give us a follow. Give us a like. If you like the gay chaos that we are, please just hop on in and do all that over there. Now, um, I will say, Elizabeth, where can the people find you? Uh, the people can find me uh, at elizabethjoy.sos uh, on Instagram or TikTok. If I ever get around to posting anything, it'll be great. It's mostly sewing costume cosplay content yeah. if I get around to posting things. Uh, I'm a little bit of a busy a busy bee, but that's where you can find me if you're interested or you want to talk about gays or classic literature or yeah. gays in classic literature. That's where that's you find me, elizabethjoy.sos. Cool. And, and Kay, where All can we find wants. you? Because I know that people are going to want more of you. Oh, baby. Well, you can find me at anywhere you, we get our, anywhere you get your social media. Uh, we are in love with our co-hosts. If you want merch, let us know because we don't have a merch store, but we can. We can. And can so, uh, like, can I have one with your faces on it? Yes. Done. Okay. Like, uh, this, see, cool. we were going to create one that was says in love with these hoes. And it was just gonna be uh it was just gonna be a bunch of us. I was trying to think, is there a way to do these randomized so everybody's is different? So it it's just like stock photos of us and then we can figure that out. Yeah, it'd but probably yeah, be like so, uh, so, you buy the mystery shirt and we've got a bunch of free made ones and we just send a random one out. Exactly. Like you've got one of them. Wait, that would actually be a really good idea. Yeah. See, this is what listen, for the five people in the raccoon that accidentally hit your phone, like you know, that listen to us. We really appreciate you all. We appreciate all things here. And now I am Movie Man Opinions. You can find me at Movie Man Opinions on most any social media platform where I'm going to be talking about everything I have an opinion on. And with Bad Batch coming around the corner, you got to know those are going to be where my hyperfixations are going. Uh, but I'm also going to be talking about a lot of other things in the meantime, uh, you know, just various films that I see, especially with the Oscars coming up. And we are working on some other projects in the meantime. Please keep updated on that. I'm really in my creative phase, so please hit us up there. And come check us out at DyadCon. Naf, go ahead. Yeah, well, you can find me at On Second Thought. Uh, Easiest ways through, like, your link trace. All of our links are actually available in the description here as well. If you're listening on Spotify, they're available in the description. Feel free to have a scroll through, click, and uh, come and find us. Yeah, we'd love to chat and engage with you. And don't be... And don't be one of those fake bands that starts unsubscribing from Naf's content. Come on. Like, you know, like, for some reason... For some reason, your your subscriber numbers keep dra- dropping, hey, and we're gonna have to make sure those it is go what up. It is, it is what it is. Not too. <laughs> but um, <laughs> as promised, uh, we'll also be announcing our guests for the next episode. Now, um, this person's actually taken a little bit of a step away from uh, like content creation for a little while, but I'm really interested in coming back specifically to show us a movie. 
Uh, and this is Spen Kenobi on TikTok. They used to talk uh, Star Wars and particularly like music uh, content related to, to music on Star Wars. So he still has a backlog of stuff on there. So feel free to go and check it out and follow him. He's got some really great insights and opinions on all of this stuff that's coming out. Uh, he's actually been on the podcast a couple of times as well before. And some of he was actually one of our one of our one of our first yeah, episodes, like episode pre weekly people on there. Um, yeah, pre weekly watch. Yeah, that was back when we had no fucking clue what we were doing. We were just you thought our podcasts were long. You should go check out like our first two. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you um, want to hear us talk for like four hours? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I do. Honestly, they're oh, pretty. Well, they're then pretty there great. you are. Because it's wild because they literally were like me and Kate meeting on TikTok, going, hey, let's talk. And then should we record the conversation? And we're just like literally essentially almost getting to know one another on stream. It's beautiful. But um, if, you, it, if it, y'all really want to know how Nap and I became best friends, just listen to the entire. Like, it, like, if you want to know a bit of our canon, um, you can check that out. <laughs> By going all the way I'm back. never going to live that down, am I? Oh, like, no, that I, was one of the first search items I want to I wanna have it is Shakespeare is canonically gay. Yeah, that's it. No, that's the other thing we should do. When, when things get a little bigger and merch still happens, we should take quotes from guests and put them on shirts and then royalties back. It's like, hey, you said something amazing. We sold 10,000 shirts. Oh, boy. We made a dollar per shirt. Congratulations. $10,000. Exactly. So it's a royalty thing. You should want to live that down. I think you should start making videos on TikTok. Like I'm going to talk about. See, I, I already had a real quick. I yeah. already had a shirt idea for you, which is, but is it better than the last Jedi? Mm. And it was uh, like, uh, and so yeah, this uh, that's me. definitely it. Yeah. This reminds me of the last Jedi was also one that I wanted to, I there, wanted to make you. There actually is a shirt I want to get uh, that is literally just says directed by Ryan Johnson. I just want that. That's oh, I want to get but, that for you. So Spen Kenobi will be joining 10. us next week. We'll be back to our normal time as well, I believe. Uh, and uh, that is correct. we will be talking about Lost in Translation, um, written and directed by Sofia Coppola. Sofia um, Coppola. And was nominated for and won an Academy Award, I believe, or at least was nominated. And it stars Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. And um, I've watched it already. I really loved it. I'm really excited to talk about it. So yeah, definitely check that film. I out have yet week. to watch it. So and, um, hurry's out. Join us next week, uh, and we'll we'll yeah dive in. It's a it, yeah, it's a really cool one. Uh, so yeah, um, beyond that, uh, yeah. Kay, any final thoughts before we uh we? Well, I guess I just want to make sure that everybody knows Elizabeth. It was just such a pleasure to have you on the show. Obviously, you've been it's so great to so see. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Oh, amazing. it's our absolute pleasure, and we cannot wait to have you on to discuss Shakespeare and things like that and have another one in oh, the future. I'm ready. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. You, don't, like, you don't understand how serious I am about doing a Bruce and Bullshit dedicated to William Shakespeare. Sign me up. I'm going to notes because I need to get – there's so much content that I've, like, missed that I just don't know. I'm going to be like, all right, where do I start? And then what do I do? And what's my timeline? And tell me a little bit more I'm about like, human literally, canon. I'm just going to tell you what all the gayest Shakespeare plays are. Rank them Do from it. gayest to least gay. I mean, I mean. See, that is going to be the goal. Ooh, that, there's and like so, 30, 30, 37 or 41. is about him which. dealing with his sexuality. Anyway, uh, and so. Actually, Coriolanus cool. is one of the gayest. That one has that is so much homoerotic tension. I love it. I'm here for it. Oh, but going with that, we also uh, obviously uh, like there's a lot of other stuff that we are working on. Um, various other things that Nap and I got going that are happening in the background. Working on developing a Patreon. If that's something that you are looking forward to, please let us know in our DMs as well as comments. That's how we get our traction. That's how we figure out what you guys want to see, what you guys are doing there. And we do have something coming up after Spen. 
that you are not going to want to miss. Yeah. It is our biggest get to uh, our biggest guest today, and it's something that we're very excited about. That you're going to hear about it first next week. So if you guys want to hear it there, be there or be square. Now I will tell you, thank you guys again so much for joining us. We really do appreciate you. This little community that we've been building is just something that we really are. We hope that you guys have enjoyed the, the content that we make and the little bit of quality that we're putting into there. We really do try to go the extra mile for you guys. So thank you so much for joining us today. And as my friend Raglan says, significant understanding does not make any sense. 